Hello, Michael here with just a quick word. Uh, at the very end of this episode, as we were wrapping up our final audience Q&A question, my internet died. So it just sort of ends abruptly, but really we were getting ready to wrap up anyway, so you really don't miss too much other than us saying, all right, awkward wave out. So I'll just say that now. Okay, awkward wave out. And now, on to the show. But I think... We're alive now. I actually can't tell, but the internet's not crapped out yet, so I'll count that as a win. So mm. hello and welcome to the RPG Academy Presents Detention Live. My name is Michael, and I am joined tonight by two guest co-hosts. You know him, you love him. Chris from the Redemption Podcast. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And new to the show, uh, but not new to the Academy, is Grant. Grant, say hello to everyone. Everybody. So, uh, Farside00831, thank you for jump, jumping in and saying hello. We appreciate that. Uh, anybody who wants to lurk around, it's totally fine. If you like to say hello and chat, it makes us feel better, but you don't have to. But at the end, we do an audience Q&A, so if you have any questions, please uh, feel free to ask them in. Uh, Grant, so, so you are kind of the new pup here, uh, so let's take a minute or two and kind of introduce you to the audience. So tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. A longtime GM uh, or DM. I've played... Uh both 5th edition, uh, Tefra, the steampunk RPG, Fantasy Age, uh, a lot of different games. We just had a, we just wrapped up a week of, or two weeks of one-shots where we tried a bunch of different systems and a bunch of different one-shots. Uh, so I, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> yeah, uh, self-servingly, you were going to be our first official beta playtest of Action 12 Cinema, which I will talk a little bit about tonight, but it kept getting pushed back, so I am... It did. I, and again, I'm really not trying to pressure you, but I am super excited to know how it goes. Even if, even if it goes terribly, that is good information for me. I will let you me. know. Yes. Yep, I will let you know. Uh, so, so out of the one, so, so what all did you run? Give us a run. What did you run this past week? So we ran, we started with Blades in the Dark... Uh, one shots. We played Dungeon World. Mm -hmm. Did a couple of fifth edition one shots, Christmas themed, of course, mm -hmm. to fit with the holiday. Uh, Escape from Dino Island, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Okay. Uh, and then my two long running campaigns as well. Okay. Which are both fifth edition campaigns. So obviously, you being the GM, you, you were the GM for all of these, right? I was not. Oh, okay. I played some of them. Okay, well, good. That's that's even better. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so obviously there's going to be some difference between them because of who was running and how familiar they are with the system and the players and how engaged they are with the system. But if you had to pick a favorite, which one would you pick? I would probably pick Blades in the Dark. Okay. Uh, other than my love for 5e because I'm in the – I'm knee deep in campaigns for 5e and i do love that system but uh, blades in the dark was fun uh kind of a punishing system but a lot of gradient of success mm -hmm. which i'm trying to incorporate into my my games as well um i was the player in the blades in the dark game but uh it was a lot of fun yeah it's not powered by the apocalypse but it has flavor of that where you role and certain roles can be successes i believe and some can be failures with yep. success with complication type of thing yep success with complications most of your roles are successes with complications or failures with complications <laughs> 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 but uh, uh as far as it being a good one-shot game i don't know if it's really built for one-shots hmm. there's a lot of systems in there built for campaigns yeah 
Yeah, I recently um, played a one shot of it myself. I, I've been interested for a while. I own it, but I'd never played it. And um, it was on Savroth's channel on Twitch. I streamed it live and it's on his YouTube now. Um, and a friend of other show, I think he's a patron or was at one time, uh, actually ran it for us. Uh, so I kind of got invited in because he was running it for them. Uh, and I enjoyed it, but I don't know if it's a system I would necessarily need to revisit but i had certainly had fun there at the time fair enough all right chris have you ever uh, played yeah. blades in the dark not that one okay i played a space one we were in mechs that was kind of blades in the yeah dark theme, you did a beam saber thank we, you That's we did it, it as a trial and it's based off of blades in the dark but yeah so it's built built off those those bones so well grant welcome to the show again you are a thank friend you. of the show a longtime listener a patron of ours uh, that's not why you're on the show. You're on the show because you asked to be on the show. It's just that easy, folks. Uh, <laughs> but it helps that we had interacted enough that I knew that you had a pretty good uh, setup and you know camera and microphone. So that certainly helped as well. Uh, but let's kick off things as we often do here. We'll start with our extracurricular, and this is just kind of like what's been going on with us. Uh, you know, what's what are we excited about? What we've been doing? What we're we looking forward to? Chris, I'll start with you tonight, sir. What's been going on, or what are you excited about? Wow, uh, I've had quite the last few months. Uh, in October, uh, the company I work for got bought by a nationwide company. Okay. A month later, I get promoted to running a store. So it was nice. Nice. Uh, then just beginning of December, the company that bought us got bought by an even bigger company. <laughs> okay. So, so it's like in Star Wars, when there's always a bigger fish metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're now the second largest DME company in the U.S., if the largest buys us, then I'd be kind of tickled. I think it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> so, uh, for me, it's just been a lot of learning their new systems, then learning the new company's systems, then learning how the new new company's systems are going to work. So it's been fun. It's been exciting to get back to have a team to work with instead of, here's your stack of work, go. Mm. Now it's like, hey, here's your stack. Here's your stack. How can I help? Where can I go? Right. Oh, you want me to leave you alone? Cool, I can do that. I'll go over here. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Nice. Other than that, uh, my son wanted to go bow hunting this year. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned how to sit in the woods for five, six hours at a time and see absolutely nothing uh -huh. Uh -huh. other than trees. Okay. Um, I was excited to see a squirrel. Oh. Like at one point, I was like, yay. <laughs> yay, squirrel. Yeah. So we had zero luck with that. Mm. Other than that, we haven't done a lot. Um, we got the new, well, not new, it's new to us, Order of the Stick adventure game that we've been playing a little uh, bit. It's fun. It's kind of like uh, take Munchkin and combine like uh, the different games where you build the dungeon as you go. Mm -hmm. So you build the dungeon, but you can help your other players or mess with them. So if you read the comic and you play the characters the way the comic plays them, it's a lot of fun. Right, yeah. If you've never read the comic, you'll be a little lost as to why do you keep having the halfling jump into a room and stab everything? <laughs> because he is a oh was oh my god, what is okay. what is his quote? He's like a halfling, barefooted sex god or god yeah, of death like that. Ah. Yeah, he's a his class is ranger, but he always pulls his daggers out and tries to stab everything. Yeah, he's and then a, gets he, really mad. Yeah, yeah, he's basically a ranger who's a assassin. Yeah. Uh, so I actually I started to play that game one time. Uh, Brad, Force and Destiny from the mm -hmm. podcast, brought it over to the house when I still lived in Cincinnati. And I think it was a night where we played multiple games and he was trying to show us how to play. 
And yeah, it's sort of like Munchkin where like you build different levels of the dungeon. You can go up and you can go down. And it got a little too complicated. I don't think everyone was into it. So we kind of stopped kind of in the middle. But I... I devoured that comic for a while. I actually haven't read it now in several years, but there was a period of time where I read it uh, like like five years of the back catalog and then read it every time it came out for like a year or two. And I really enjoyed it. I just, I don't know, it's one of the things I, I liked it, but I just kind of fell off of it. But the game seemed like something I would have enjoyed under the right circumstances. Yeah, it was fun. And I'm the same way. I read the comic for a long time and then got distracted with other things and just kind of lost the... Uh, Lost my interest for it. Yeah, maybe eventually I'll circle back to it in another five years. Uh, CMC2986 is in the chat. Says, hello, Foxblade. So I'm guessing that's one of, one of your players. But uh, Sounds like. <laughs> welcome. All right, so then, Grant, what about you? What have you been up to? I know we talked a little bit about this game session marathon thing you had, but is there anything else you want to talk about? What's been going on with you? Yeah, so far, that's uh, been what we've done in the last little bit of time. Uh, basically, I don't have I don't have work. I'm a stay-at-home dad. Nice. Uh, so, uh, baby is now approaching six months or 16 months, 18 months rather rapidly. Sorry. All those six, six month intervals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so walking, starting to get words, all lots of, lots of fun, hard to keep up with. Oh, of course. <laughs> yep. It, it, it never really gets better, but it does get easier. <laughs> Like, sure. like the, the, the day when our kids could kind of get up and then just like deal with themselves in the morning was amazing. They, I eat that. <laughs> yeah, you, you just get up and, you know, you you take care of yourself for a couple hours. And when I get up, I'll, fit, I'll make sure that, you know, the house isn't burning down. That was an amazing time for me. I'd say four to about 15 is amazing. And 15, <laughs> they start realizing they know everything. Ah. Ah. You're just an idiot. Sure. Uh, luckily, I've got well, I, will, I will look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, I've got a pretty good kid. He's pretty laid back. So yeah. he's well, 16. That's... So I haven't had to do much with him in a long time other than have you showered today? Sure. <laughs> no, you haven't. Go. Nice. How about you, Michael? What have you been up to? Uh, little this, little that, not much of nothing. Uh, I, we've kind of started instituting this um, every night after dinner. We play a game thing that I've been trying to do for a while. Uh, and I've been trying to introduce a couple of new games because I, I mentioned this before. My wife doesn't really isn't into a lot of the games that we play. She doesn't care about mm-hmm. role playing games at all. She really likes Pandemic, but the boys aren't old enough for that yet. And we would just be running the game for them. Uh, but we played The Mind a few times. We played Hanabi a couple times. The boys love like uh, King of Tokyo, Soro, uh, yeah. those types of games. But I broke out uh, Marvel Splendor, and this is a game that actually okay. I kind of thought my wife would like. She's very sort of logicy. And I thought mm-hmm. that that game would appeal to her, but we played it like it was regular Splendor. We didn't deal with the Marvel extra rules, and she really, really liked it. And she found out I had it on app, and she's been playing it for like the last three days, just nonstop on the app, which is cool. So I, anytime I can find a game that I can, can share my excitement and she's excited about, it, I like that as well. But it's it's such a study in contrast of how my boys play games differently. Um, welcome, Darrow two o two six. Uh, so like the first game we played, and I don't know if either of you are familiar with, with the game, but basically you, it's a resource management game where you collect cards and the cards give you a bonus towards buying new stuff. So the more cards you have, the more bonus resources you have to buy and bigger cards. 
Um, and some of the cards are really cheap. Some of them are really expensive. Some of them are worth points. Some of them are not. The goal is to get to a certain number of points. And like there's Dominion. also, I'm sorry, like Dominion. I've never played Dominion, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but you also have these cards that once you have enough resources that you qualify for, you get them as well. So you get points through getting the right no- types of cards in the right number or just getting cards that are worth um, enough points. So Jacob, my youngest, he just wanted the most points. Like I, I explained the way you win the game is you can get the most points. So uh, like the cards are laid out in three levels. You have level one, level two, and level three. Level one are the cheapest least useful level three of the most expensive, most valuable points wise. And he just went that, that card's worth seven. I want that card. And he just kept saving up chips, <laughs> even sometimes like, like technically wasting turns yeah. just till he had enough chips to get that <laughs> card where John picked a card that he just wanted. Like, this is a cool looking card. I want this card. And irregardless of, or I should say regardless, I, I say irregardless, people tell me that's not a real word. Regardless of the fact that it's not any sort of strategy, he would just go after that card. And Jacob beat us all. And I don't know how he did it, but yeah, he didn't get like 15 points. The rest of us were had like three points. And he's like, I got this four card. I got this four card, this five card. So the first time we played, he destroyed us. The second time we played, I won because I realized what everyone else was doing was able to stop them. Uh, it kind of made my wife mad because I kept like reserving cards and taking away her strategy. Yeah. Um, but everyone seems to enjoy the, the game. Everybody had fun. And then tonight we played phase 10 and I thought we almost had a fight on our hands. Like people were close to tears. If you've never played phase 10, it can get a little hairy because uh, people get left behind. I, I thought it was fun, but both Jonathan or both John and Jacob were both like at moments so frustrated that the tears were almost coming out. So that's what I've been up to, uh, playing games after dinner. We're going to hopefully just keep working in some new ones and seeing what people like and what, what they don't like. Uh, but then the last thing I'll mention, just because I kind of teased it before, is I made paid my down payment on the cover art for Action 12 Cinema. I don't know how these things work. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who the artist is yet, but it's certainly one, if you have backed any Kickstarters in the last two years, you've probably seen their name on a few of them. Uh, I'm very excited to see what they come up with. And it's just one more step along this journey of maybe actually seeing this become a reality. Uh, CMC2986 says that that game destroys friendship. So they have played Phase 10. Yes, yes, it can. Hmm. Uh, So anyway, uh, thanks to everybody hanging out uh, with us in chat. It looks like we've got several people uh, watching who haven't said hello. Totally cool. If you want to say cool, if you want to say hello, you can, but there's no no pressure, but a nice to have you with us. Uh, but we will move into used books. And this is kind of our more meaty potatoes part of the show. And this is where one of us will talk about a game that we played in or ran in the past. And we're looking to maybe mine some due difference or lessons learned and how we can take those lessons and make games in the future uh, better. Uh, Grant, you are our guest tonight. So do you have a, a campaign or a game you'd like to talk about, sir? I do, and it goes with uh, my goal for the new year, which is to improve the exploration pillar of my games. Okay. I'm trying to work on that uh, probably the most out of what I'm, um, of my three pillars, you know, combat, role-playing, and exploration. Uh, Ken uh, Dractra is following us now. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Cool. Uh, so the game I wanted to talk about was uh, my first Heifer campaign, which was a race around the world. Okay. Uh, we went to a bunch of different cities, had a bunch of different, most of the plot was in the, uh, interim between traveling to cities, checkpoints. 
Uh, but all of my cities kind of felt samey. Samey, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure out uh, what I could do. Uh, some of the things that I or have been suggested to me, uh, local resources, you know, things that you can only buy in this city, mm-hmm. uh, really make a city kind of stand out in a player's memory. Um, I don't know that I do that enough. Uh, the last couple of campaigns I've set in, uh, in 5e, we did Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and the thing about Waterdeep is it has everything. Mm-hmm. So they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just uh, uh, the Greek-themed uh, one that I'm running, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, also has a big capital city where you can theoretically get anything, everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So long as you have the money for it. Um, so I'm trying to avoid that in my new my two campaigns. Um, big capital cities. The thing with the Tefra campaign is they were set up, these checkpoints were set up in cities that were either capitals around the continent that everybody or that their teams were racing across um, or were set up in weird little places that were either dangerous to access or, or hard, but the cities all felt kind of samey. Okay. And I'm just trying to to figure out maybe cities aren't my strong suit, mm-hmm. which is possible. Uh, a lot of the fun in that game happened in between cities. So, and but getting players to explore a city, uh, push them without pushing them. Okay. Um, well, I, I know if Tom was here, he would lament how fifth edition, uh, which is a game that he and I both love and, and you do as well, doesn't really support the exploration pillar as much as it does either of the other two social and combat and certainly combat it's top tier than social and then exploration they say it's one of the three pillars but it really doesn't ever get a lot of time in the sun or a lot of exploration uh, in mechanically how (laughs) you would actually use it now you're talking about tefra but i think there's still some overlap so does tefra have any mechanics that support exploration um, you know, in like, if they go out and do things, they get bonuses or rewards or anything like that. It did have a feature called stories where if they did something wacky or memorable or uh, made me laugh. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> you know, something I could award stories, which would confer, which could confer a mechanical bonus. Like you were heroes of, Rankston, for example, which is a city in the game. Uh, so you get free room and board there if you were awarded that story. Okay. Um, by doing this, that, or the other thing in that particular town. Um, or one of my players, they were on a train and he decided to shoot a boiler because they were surrounded by enemies. Um, and then he ended up getting the story because he got very hurt <laughs> shooting <laughs> the boiler. A scar is a story, some might say. Exactly. And yeah. he got the story that he was afraid of explosions for that. So, okay. I mean, yes, it, it had some things that I could add and some things maybe I could add to 5e because balance has never really been my concern anyways. Right. So I, I'm interested. I want to bring Chris 
I'll, I'll bring Chris in because I know Chris again. He's our Star Wars expert, and one of the things that Star Wars is known for is that every planet you go to is its own unique um, environment. So I'm guessing there might be some overlap in how do you make a planet feel different to how do you make cities feel different. So do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, pretty much. If you look at most of Star Wars, they kind of look at geography. And that's what the planet is. So you have your ice planet, you've got your jungle planets, you've got your desert planets, and then they just kind of build the environment around that or the people that are in there around it, which if you look at it, a lot of games do that. Um, I've built worlds where that's what I do too. I look at the geography and who's going to live in this area and then build the cities based on that. So obviously a desert, you're probably not going to have tall buildings. They're going to be more around oasises and stuff like that. Uh, Star Wars does something similar. They also look at the resources that could potentially be there and then what conflict would be around that. Like uh, part of the, the whole invasion with Naboo back in episode one is Palpatine had convinced the Trade Federation that there was valuable resources there as well as taxing on trade, trade routes. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much. But the point is you can use those resources in those areas to move the story along. Okay. Just went down that rabbit hole in the Discord. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, somebody yeah. was trying to explain what the plan was and why it worked or didn't work a while back. I was reading through it, but it, I got lost as well. I, I always revert back to, he waved his hand and went, you're going to do this. And the force went <laughs> through them and they said, sure, I'll do that. You know, if the Jedi can do it, so can the Sith. So don't look too deep into it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so CMC2096 asked here, how much does this question of exploration and variety depend on the GM versus how interactive the players are? And I think, uh, and, and I think that's, you, you could almost put that, that boilerplate question on every situation in any RPG is what does it come down to the GM's responsibility? What is the player's responsibility? And how do those two things interact with each other and how do they affect the outcome? Um, so, I'll, so I'll say first, kind of my answer is, Usually, I, I I pick one or two things and I lean hard into them for like every, that's like my whole RPG philosophy is pick one or two things and then lean hard into them, and the same thing would be a city building like what makes this city different than another city, and I'll pick one or two things and then lean hard into them. Is it uh, a resource they have that others don't? Is it a resource they need that they don't have that they're trying to give other people? Could it be the the government? So you know, have a lot of kingdoms. Is this uh, a city state? Is it a fiefdom? Is it a dem true to market democracy or a theocracy or majocracy? What is it about the city that's a little bit different? And then just lean into it as hard as I can. I'm also very improv heavy and, and try to get my players to do that. And I think that leans into what CMC 296 was talking about is just ask your players. So what's the first thing about the city that you notice? And they might see some a, a, a big business or business, a building or configuration of buildings or a natural landscape or an environmental factor or the fact that there's no children or the entire city is filled with dwarves and there's, you know, that kind of thing. So asking them to just to say, what's the first thing your character notices about the city kind of takes the weight off your shoulder. And then you just have to try to make that make sense. Like, why does this city not have any children? You know, it could be as simple as there's as public education. All the kids are currently in school or it could be that they're under a curse or, you know, and, you know, just kind of roll with it as best you can. Um, so did that touch on your question at all, CMC 296? I know there's a bit of a delay, so I'll give them a chance to, to jump in. So I'll go back to you, Grant. So what, you know, what did you do 
or what would you want to have done next time playing Tefra specifically if you were to do something similar again? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, so my, I talked to my players about this today and that the most memorable city, one was on an airship. It was just, you know, something different mm. and it had a different resource economy about it. It wasn't just a city, um, but other than cities, though, uh, dungeon crawling, not my specialty either. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of theater of the mind. Yeah. Me too. And it's like, okay, you have a choice. And I have maps because I run, I run modules because it frees up my brain to do other things and make campaigns more interesting. Uh, so I like running modules, but a lot of them come with maps. And they, you're in the dungeon. You could go left or right. That's not super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to work on that as well. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of ideas for the city building uh, lean heavily into one or two things. I, I like that. But any other ideas for dungeon crawling or wilderness exploring would be most helpful as well because I'm, I'm really trying to work on this and my GMing. I think it's a weakness of mine. And I, my goal for the new year is to improve. Well, and that's a good goal. Always, always be improving, right? Yeah. Uh, so can uh, Droctra uh, had said that another element of variety in making cities distinctive is how the locals respond to the player characters uh, from Star Wars. You know, your droids have to wait outside. We don't serve their kind here. That tells you something about at least that cantina uh, in Star Wars, if not necessarily that you know, city or that place, that planet. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Like if you have a diverse player group, uh, again, I don't know Tefra. We played it a couple times now, uh, but I don't know what, I think there's different species. So you have like dwarves and trolls. Um, So, you know, if you go to a city where something about the party configuration draws attention, I try to shy away from like, uh, you know, racism. Like we don't, we don't like dwarves here because it can, sometimes carry over too far and gets into real world politics that no one likes to deal with, but it could still be interesting. You know, uh, are there not a whole lot of those or are there a whole lot of them or is it a rarity or is someone like, you know, you look just like this person, uh, who's like a hero of ours and maybe they're, they get mistaken as this like local hero. I'm thinking of Janestown, uh, though he actually was Jane, uh, in Janestown from Firefly that, you know, that could be an interesting thing that makes that city unique and also become the resource that like, Hey, Everybody thinks, you know, Sarah's character is this hero. Maybe we could uh, lean back into that next time, you know, if we need something. And then, of course, it will go sideways because it's, you know, Firefly. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so anything else from you, Chris? Any other advice maybe for dungeon crawls or wilderness exploration, what you've done or tried to do? Usually with a dungeon crawl, for me, it's always, what's the point of going in here? Is it just to get XP? Cool. I'll throw monsters at you and you can kill them. Or are the players going after a specific item? Or are they trying to learn something in the dungeon? I do a lot of things in dungeons that are meant to teach the players something. Maybe they find some ancient text that helps their character learn something new. Or they find something new out about themselves while they're doing it. Or sometimes you have new players. It helps them learn how to play the game. So I really look at what's my point of putting them in a dungeon? I don't usually do just to get XP because I don't really give XP. 
I just yeah, I don't either. I don't give magic items. Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought that was for Elton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually, I just say I think you've earned, you've done enough that you've your character's learned enough to move up a level. Right. And that that's how I usually do it. So XP for me is not important. So I don't usually throw things in there just for XP. I usually have a purpose for sending them in there. Uh, wilderness survival and exploration. I I don't say I cheat, but I kind of steal stuff from Dungeon World where there's three different roles. Uh, there's usually like the quartermaster that's in charge of supplies. There's the person that's the trailblazer that's responsible for making sure you don't get lost. And then there's a scout, make sure you don't get yep. surprised. Everybody rolls. If you make it, great. You made it through. If you don't, all right, now we're going to deal with the consequences. And I just kind of build that with the players at the table. Uh, you know, like the last game I ran, I actually did that in Shadow of the Demon Lord. Uh, the guy that was a trailblazer rolled a one. Everybody else passed. Well, you're lost, but you're not surprised. So they had to deal with a, a random encounter, which I usually don't do, but did this time where they had to learn that desolation is not a nice place. They were really lost if they're in there. So, Yeah. For me, thinking about wilderness, it's kind of... Um, so I, there's two ways I would look at it. Uh, do I want to have mechanics that support this? So like a game like Forbidden Lands, um, yes, those mechanics work very well. I think they're fun. I think they're interesting. For 5e, I think I would lean more into just how does this affect the characters and just ask them. So you're now going through this tundra. How have you prepared to deal with the fact that you ha don't have access to much food and it's really cold? And then they can just tell me, like, because of this, we had to do this, this, and this. And, you know, even though it's pretty quick, it doesn't take a lot of time, I think that'll help put them in the mindset that, oh, yeah, my character is wearing three la layers of furs, or we brought extra water, or we should have brought extra water and we didn't. So now we're going to have to, you know, figure out how to deal with this. Uh, and the other thing I would do sometimes is I don't really deal with like spell components very much. Pretty much if you're a spellcaster, you just cast whatever you want. But I will sometimes give some, uh, special abilities or special effects if someone goes out of their way to use a particular item as a spell component. So if like if in earlier in the game they found a, a dead dragon carcass and someone said, you know, said I took some time to take some of the scales off of the, the dragon. And now someone says like, hey, I want to use these dragon scales in this spell that I normally cast. Okay, that's kind of an interesting spell component. So this time when you cast that spell, it lasts longer. It affects an additional person or has, you know, additional bonus. So then you might do something like that if you have spell casters. In this environment, what are some special things that you might be looking for? And it could be alchemical items like mushrooms or certain types of plants. If you have a druid or a healer, maybe they're able to find a, you know, an elderberry or what, what is king's foil, I think, from Lord of the Rings that helps with poison. Uh, you know, yeah. it's still all just like we're talking about it. I'm not really probably going to make you roll more than a couple of rolls. But bring it into their, their mind that in this area, there's something I can interact with or do that I couldn't have done in the city and I can't do in this next place, this next environment. I can only do it here, but I'm still leveraging the player's input and buy-in more than mechanics. Because much like you, Grant, it's not a strength for me. So my strength is to lean into my players and use their strengths so that I don't have to Fair worry enough. about it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Darrow had asked, uh, are there games that support wilderness explorations better than 5e? For me, Forbidden Lands, which I'm very new to playing. I've only played it a few times, but I think it's, the best experience I've had 
with a game that is built from the ground up for exploration. So if anybody is struggling like you are, Grant, I highly suggest you at least look at those rules and see if there's something you could take from them. Uh, But that's what that game is about, is about exploration. You have to roll every time you move a hex. You roll to see what you find. You, You know, there's random encounters. There's mishaps. You can accidentally set your tent on fire and now you're out without a tent or you can get lost and then have an extra encounter. So if you don't want to do a lot of exploration, it's probably too far in that direction, but there might be a way to take some parts and pieces of it, or just like say for this session, you're lost in this you know swamp. We're going to use these rules from forbidden lands to see if you can get out. So I don't know that I would use them all the time, but it might be like a fun session to really sure. slow it down and make it nitty gritty uh, and use those exploration rules. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is about dungeon crawls. The thing that I've found to be the most successful for me is to slow it down, which is the exact opposite of what I normally would do. For my mind, you go into a dungeon and the fun is getting to the end, you know, finding the, the treasure or facing the big monster. I found that the players seem to have more fun if I really slow it down and let every room breathe. And that gives me time to think about what's in that room. Uh, again, I'm not leveraged a player. Like, what's you know, what do you see in this room that you're surprised, or is there a smell in this room that you didn't expe- expect? And then you know, I'll take what they give me and build on it. But you know, don't don't just try to push them room to room because then it does feel samey because they would just become it's just a right, left, up, down, left, right path. But this is the room with the water pools. This is the room with the three stalactites that are, you know, in a configuration. This is the room that clearly used to be this, but now has been repurposed as that. And I think that helps kind of settle in their mind what they're going through and makes it more memorable, even if it doesn't really mechanically change anything. It's still just three lefts and a right, and then you're there. But I think it, it slowing it down and giving each room a chance to breathe has helped me in those cases. That makes sense. It does. Uh, looking at chat, uh, Ken Dracta also mentioned that they don't really like XP. Uh, I'm a milestone person. I've been a milestone person for years, and I, d- I don't think I would ever go back. It just works best for me. Uh, I'm about to start a new game, Shadow Spawns, which will start on this channel in a couple weeks. We're playing 13th Age, and in that game, they have a thing where, if, like, every session you get, like, an incremental advance, so it kind of does the work for you. Just every, after every session, you get one of four things. At the end of four sessions, you level up. So you have whatever, oh. whatever, whatever one you hadn't taken yet, you get the last one. Now you leveled up and you can start over. Uh, so did any of that help at all, Grant? Like It did. You can be lot, honest. Like, <laughs> no, for sure. It did. It did. Uh, I think slowing it down for the dungeon crawls, really, and then leveraging my players. They're all creative people. I can yeah. lean into them. I, I, and I say that not just because they're all watching right now. Of but. course. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you would have done that if that, but that's not why you actually did it. That's right. But, and I've, I've said this before, but my fun at the table has increased almost exponentially since I've gone to doing more of that because I still get to play now. When I ask a player, right. like, what's the most interesting thing in this room? And they come up with something that I'm like, wow, I have to pretend like, that was always part of my plan. And now I have to work that in and, and, you know, maybe even build off of it or change it a little bit. So I get to play the game, not just run it. 
and I just I found it a lot more fun. I'm I'm a lot more energized about running the games than I used to be when I had to provide everything. And I didn't have to provide. I thought I had to provide everything. Uh, so your your playing players are now giving you some crap about them doing all they the are. work. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what players are there for. All right. So do you want to circle anything about else about used books here, or do we want to? I, I completely forgot our first improv game. We'll just have to do two in a row. I got all discombobulated here. Sorry. All right, but I'll give. So, Grant, is, is there anything else you want to circle around before we move into our first? I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, like I said, uh, I've been blessed that I have successful campaigns, so I don't. I'm digging into the successful ones to try and pull out and keep keep improving to keep my campaigns successful. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a great job just from what we've talked about and Thank your, you. you know your players seem to be if they're coming back to the table then you're you're absolutely doing it you know again you're 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 doing it right uh but it's also good to want to do to do things better and and to see where your own weaknesses are and try to become a more well-rounded dm i think that's a, a lofty and admirable goal uh so my last advice is just try stuff and you know yeah. let you, hopefully your players will have your back and if you try something and it does not work all right we won't do that again uh, but if you, if you do something else and it does work, even if it's just an incremental, uh, improvement, then you can build off that and, you know, over time get better and better. But, you know, if, if you have players that are willing to, to support you and why wouldn't they, because if you get better DMing, it's a better game for them too. Uh, then don't be afraid to try stuff and say, tonight we're going to do this weird thing. And if it works great, if it doesn't, oh, well. All right, so we're going to go backwards in time. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, New York Tater's here. Everyone say hello to New York Tater. Hello. Happy New Year. Hey. Hello. Uh, Happy New Year. So you're here just in time for us to go back in time and do 10 things because I've not done these in a while, and I forgot that's our improv game that we're supposed to do before we use books. So this is where we will prompt one another to try to come up with a list of 10 things as quickly as possible. So immediacy is more important than accuracy. And it's always a fun time for everyone. So Grant, you are our special guest. Would you like to go first, go second, or go third in terms of actually creating your list? I will go second. You will go second. All right. So I will give you a prompt. You will give Chris a prompt. And then Chris will give me a prompt. All right. I'll make this kind of easy on you. I, I shouldn't say that because I'll probably make it hard. So you've been playing a lot of games. So, Grant, give me a list of 10 games you have not yet played, but want to. Okay, Savage Worlds. One. One. Uh, Forbidden Lands. Two. Two. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 13th Age. 13th Age. Three. Uh, I don't know that many games. You're killing me. <laughs> you can just make things up because it doesn't have to be real. <laughs> uh, I'd like to play Dungeon World again. Okay. Uh, uh, Mouse Guard five, five. Uh, Star Wars six, six. Um, crap. Uh, uh, the other one. Uh, <laughs> the other one. Yeah, that's the, the, other, the other one. Good game. Uh, uh, maybe a different edition of D and D. There you go. Yep. Eight. Okay. Eight. Two uh, more. Uh, shoot. Uh, another Star Wars system. All right. Nine. Nine. 
One more. One more. Bring it home. And and I said Action 12 Cinema, so I'm going to play Action 12 Cinema. Action 12 Cinema. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So you're going to give Chris a prompt for 10 things he's going to come up with. And yes, New Year Tater, I really wish we could just redo 2020. Just reboot, retry. Uh, but uh, we're in 2021 now. So all that's behind us. Hopefully. That is God. all behind us. It's, it's all good. No. Uh, ten ice-themed items you would find in a dragon's horde. Ooh. Wow. Uh, icy armor of reflection. One. Uh, ice knife. Two. Uh, uh, icy scimitar of frost. Three. Uh, great sword of frost. Four. Uh, ring of frost protection. Five. Uh, let's see. Boots of ice walking. Six. Cloak of snow. Seven. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. Uh, potion of icy breath. Eight. Uh, elixir of snowy colored hair. Nine. And uh, a crown of icicles. Ten. Yay. Very good, Yay. sir. That was a list yeah. of ten things. Very specific with the ice theme. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell I just had to do that uh, last oh. week? Nice. <laughs> You'll have to write up the stats for the cloak of snow. It's cloak of snow. <laughs> I, I think I that's know. actually a character that just has dandruff and is lying to everyone. Oh. It's a cloak of <laughs> snow. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Your turn, Michael. I think I got an easy one for you. I hope so. 10 things you want to see happen in 2021. A catacon. One. Uh, Origins. Two. Gen Con. Three. The faculty retreat. Four. Uh, wow. Um, I want to see WandaVision. Does that count? Five. Yes. Uh, more Marvel movies. Six. I kind of want to see Justice League, but I think it's going to be terrible. Seven. Seven. Um... Uh, fat-free ice cream. Eight. Uh, I think that's called snow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I want to get the the uh, uh the, the levitating squirt skateboard from Back to the Future to finally be a thing. Nine. Uh, and flying cars because we just need more disasters. Ten. Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. All right. So so normally we do that before used books, but I screwed up. Then we do used books, and then we do. Where My Fingers Been, which is everyone's favorite improv game. And this is a game where we are going to prompt each other once again. But this time, rather than creating a list of 10 things, we're going to create a little scene between two or more people that we will activate with our finger puppets, uh, which hopefully will have a beginning, middle, and end. I generally leave out at least one of those. So it's also required that you must sing the song because New York Tater is here and he will get on to me if we don't. Grant, again, you are the guest. So would you like to go first, second, or third in regards to actually performing the Where Have, you fin where have My Fingers Been? I'll go first. First, okay. Uh, so then I will prompt you, and then you'll prompt Chris, and we'll, we'll do everything. In that. Perfect. Okay. So, Grant, your fingers. I haven't sung yet. Uh, well, well, okay. Okay, go ahead. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Perfect. Your fingers are 
at the airport about to get on a plane to fly to a catacon in 2021. Gee, I hope everybody is uh, social distancing in this airport <laughs> so we can go to a catacon 2021. I, I don't think they are, but uh, we're going to just, uh, we're just going to hope. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, we're going to just fly anyways. Well, that doesn't seem like a great idea, but we really want to go to a catacomb 2021. <laughs> well, let's just hope everybody's safe. <laughs> and that's where my fingers are. Yay! Yay! All right. And now, so you will prompt Chris. Chris, uh, okay. Oh, uh, wow, I just blanked on the song. Oh. <laughs> where have my. Where have my finger? No, you, what, how's it start again? Yes, where have. It's just a little cadence thing. That's right. Yep. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? In the little town where one of your fingers is the hero. <laughs> okay. We just brought that up. <laughs> Oh my, uh, I can't believe you saved me. Oh, what, whatever can I do to reward you? Please, just, uh, you know, convince that Michael guy to put me on his show. Okay, I can do that. Yay. I thought we were going to rain in our territory there for a minute, so. <laughs> nope. All righty. Okay. Right. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Uh, trying to teach one of your kids to podcast. Okay. For the 18th time, you can't just scream into the microphone. There are things called levels. And when you get really loud, they go up high. And then when you get really low, they go down low. And then I, your dad, has to spend about four hours editing everything you say so that it's good enough that people can listen to it. Yeah, I don't care. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> Yay. Yay. All righty. So then we move into sort of the last segment of the show, unless we do an audience Q&A. We've got quite a few people, so hopefully we will be able to. And that is cryptozoology. And this is where we talk about a monster, usually D&D related, but it doesn't have to be. And talk about ways that maybe we've used this creature in the past and maybe brainstorm some ways that we could use this creature in the future. Grant, you again are our guest co-host. So what monster are we talking about tonight? I brought today from fifth edition, the lowly scarecrow. It's a challenge level one monster. So it's great for low level parties. It's uh, fairly easy to hit. It's a construct, uh, but it's got a lot of resistances. Um, it can be uh, indistinguishable from a normal scarecrow, which is a lot of fun. Um, if it's not moving and it is also immune to a lot of conditions um so it's a it's kind of a hefty little challenge level one monster that i my players i asked my players uh what they had fun fighting um in our campaign and scarecrow came up uh, a couple of times so i thought we'd uh bring it in and talk about it okay so as you mentioned this is a challenge rating one uh its hit points are 36 now obviously the dm can do whatever they want they can maximize those minimize those whatever but it, it standard comes at 36 it gets multi-attack so it can attack with its claws twice the claws are plus three to hit 
and they do 2d4 plus 1 damage. And if you are hit, then you have to make a saving throw or be frightened until the end of your next turn. And it has a gaze attack or glare attack. So yeah, uh, I mean... Probably my favorite part of the Scarecrow is the terrifying glare. As you mentioned, it's a construct and it's also immune to a lot of different conditions. So I can see where this could be a hefty fight. I mean, obviously action economy in D&D is always... Uh, a concern, you know, if you're not careful, then players will just gang up and kill things. Uh, but that's kind of what they're supposed to do. So you've used it somewhat recently. So tell us about what, how you used it and, and why you thought it was effective and or fun or both. So uh, my players came upon a vineyard um, and they were told that the crops were being destroyed by shadowy figures, um, possibly scarecrows people dressed as scarecrows and when they came to this vineyard there were a ton of scarecrows in the vineyard some of which were constructs some of which were just regular scarecrows and most of the fun was actually not the combat encounter but the detective work that my players had to do to figure out is this thing a magical construct or is this just a regular scarecrow and can we secretly cast like detect magic without drawing attention in this field <laughs> on these scarecrows <laughs> uh, to see if there was anything foul afoot. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a fun little, little encounter. Okay. Uh, but using them as tricks rather than, I mean, they're a pretty hefty monster, especially if there's more than one of them, but tricking players into making a whole encounter out of their own suspicions is also just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. All right. Chris, have you ever used a scarecrow in one of your games? I did, but it wasn't D and D it was a uh, shadow of the demon Lord. And he was there is originally more as just kind of describing the scenery as they walk up to the village. And I really led the players to thinking there was a werewolf around. So they were trying to find the werewolf at night but couldn't find any tracks of the werewolf and couldn't really figure it out. And eventually one of them got the bright idea to walk around at night near the scarecrow and then it jumped out at him. So I used it more as a murder mystery that they had to kind of figure out, which was kind of neat because they walked right past it and never even thought about a scarecrow. Sure. Uh, they were they were going off on werewolf, then vampire. Then <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's Shadow of the Demon Lord. You're low level. I'm not throwing an actual werewolf at you. I'm not that mean. <laughs> so that's, that's the only time i've ever actually used one i can see how easy it would be to use it to mislead your players though mm -hmm. so i guess not my not my problem that's not what my thought here is so for me i have three fairly vivid memories of scarecrows from popular media first you have wizard of Oz. probably not what we're going for in most cases but you know it could be fun at some point then there's the Jeepers Creepers movie. I, I think there's like oh, nine sure. of them now. I think I saw the first two because I hate myself. Um, <laughs> and then there's the Supernatural TV show, which I like. And there was an episode of Supernatural uh, that featured a scarecrow. But in all three of those, it's more of a singular thing. Uh, you know, like, like in Supernatural, it was like the big bad. And... Yeah. The, even as a low-level party, the scarecrow doesn't come across to me as a big bad. It, it big bad. It's in, I mentioned it's like often created by like hags and witches to to, to act. Uh, 
So I would want a beefier Scarecrow. I'd want this thing to be like a level five and it be the main bad guy that they have to fight. Uh, which obviously I'd you know reskin it, which I could certainly do. But trying to find ways to to use it at low level, I think I like um, the idea that Grant kind of you did there, where there's a whole bunch of scarecrow where some are and some aren't uh, actual you know animated right. scarecrows, and mm-hmm. that that's part of the fun. But then I don't sure mechanically how well that would hold up. You know, you 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 fireball once and you've probably figured most of it out um for sure so i'm just trying to figure out ways maybe it's almost like you could do like a halloween themed sort of thing where it's a maybe it's a smaller village and they have like a again like a halloween type of event and some people are dressed up as scarecrows so you have npcs walking around as scarecrows one of which is actually a real scarecrow uh maybe even it's a like a force that if you dress up as a scarecrow, it can inhabit your body. So it, the, the NPC you're talking to now might be the scarecrow later. So something almost like a doppelganger sort of thing or a demonic possession sort of thing. Uh, that could be an interesting way to, to use it as a low-level monster. But I'll have to think a little bit more about it. Um, maybe I'll come could, back to me. Could also be it's a farming community and there's several fields that have them. So they're not all near each other. And you could just have it that, I mean, they're constructs. So maybe whatever is animating them is jumping from scarecrow to scarecrow until you get to the Ooh, final I like one. That. To get to the final scarecrow, which is obviously going to be your bigger, badder scarecrow. So they're constantly hunting these scarecrows through the cornfields and wheat fields. And you could really paint kind of a eerie picture of, you know, you're going through a cornfield and then a hand lashes out and grabs you. Mm-hmm. I, I like that uh, a lot. I also like the idea that. Like they do some research and figure out this is the scarecrow that we think is animated. They take care of it and you, you set it up as if, oh, congratulations, you have completed the adventure until the next morning someone else is found dead or, you know, other thing has happened. Like, oh, no, there's now another one. So then they have to go and, and that's where they see that there's actually a force that's jumping from them or there's more than one. So they have to start taking out multiple scarecrows. Because I think you get that twist once. The second time, they're just going to kill every scarecrow in the tri-state area they can get to. <laughs> uh, but I, I still like that as a sort of a, a pull-out-the-rug moment where, you know, the, you've completed the adventure. It's the end of the session. And, oh, by the way, uh, the next morning, you know, another farmer was found dead. And, you know, hay has been left at the scene of the crime or something, you know, whatever. Uh, that could be fun. You could even go that a magician is somehow animating them. And every time you kill one, you get another clue towards that magician. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's do. the that's the big boss is the yeah. is the the person that's animating them. Yeah, and it could and even that, almost be. Um, again, I always like to try to find ways where it's not just hitting things with sticks. Maybe it was a mistake. Like like a scarecrow's purpose is to keep things from damaging the fields, right? So maybe this wizard was hired. Like, hey, our crops are getting decimated. Can you help us? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll animate scarecrows. That'll, they'll be more effective now. And then, <laughs> you know, wizard just goes on his way. Uh, and then the scarecrows, you know, maybe maybe like a year later, so the next season, they're just like, they're intelligent now. They're animated. They're just bored. Uh, so maybe it's not killing them. It's make, finding ways to make them do their jobs again without, uh, you know, I don't know make a part of society i don't know i'm trying to make things <laughs> up here but i just think that could be an interesting that it's not necessarily an evil it's more of a misunderstanding how do you how do you deal with that problem yeah 
they have to do some sort of ritual to cleanse the scarecrows of whatever is animating them to do the evil. Hmm. Kind of neat. Be interesting because then you don't always have the big baddie you have to go after. Maybe you have to collect the ingredients, do the ritual, and then protect the magic user that's doing the ritual from the scarecrows that are coming in because now they've they've got the taste of blood and they want more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I can see the, the scene too where you've got like all the villagers in the communal hall, the church, whatever, barricaded in. And there's like all the animated scarecrows from all the fields have come in. And it's just sort of a, uh, it's like a tower defense thing. You just have to survive the night. You know, there's like three nights of the year where this, you know, the again, the Halloween sort of thing where they, they become animated. If you can just keep everyone alive till then. And then of course there's going to be, you know, some stupid guy who wants to have sex with a stupid girl. So they sneak out and go to the bar and then that leaves the door open. And then, um, you know, that causes problems. Yeah. That could be a fun way to use, especially using the low level. There's just multiple of them. And then now you've divided the forces. Some of the players have to go protect these two stupid kids who've gone off to do what stupid kids do, but they've now made everyone else susceptible. So you've got two fronts of attack. You've got to split your forces, which can cause these creatures, even though they're level one, with their defenses built in pretty beefy and harder to fight. Then your second campaign is teaching the villagers to not make scarecrows. So you don't have the same problem <laughs> next year. Yeah. Find a, and then everybody has to find a druid to figure out a new way to, to keep the field safe. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a generational campaign. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so I guess one more time around the horn again, anyone else think of any other interesting ways that we could possibly use scarecrows in the future? Uh, you could use them as the uh, implement for some sort of portal for other creatures to jump through. That way it's not something somebody would think to go look for. Again, I'm using it kind of as a setting thing at first, but then they find out, oh, these little demons have been coming through the scarecrows and they have to figure out how to burn the scarecrow down or, you know, it becomes animated. However you want to play it out. I just thought, uh, because, you know, scarecrows are, are usually attached, you know, in a field. So what if it's a situation where the scarecrow is actually, uh, adequately bound to the stake? So like a clump of hay is falling off and it's like a twig blight and it's like, so you have all these little, like four or five little, yeah. you know, three inch tall thing, like, you know, creeping hands that are going around doing things. Uh, but the scarecrow itself is not causing the problems. Just pieces of it have come animated separately to it has his own consciousness. That could be a fun little, that could be a silly fun thing. thing. Yeah. You could play on the uh, children of the corn type idea, but he's actually the cult leader. Uh, yeah. They, they, some, he somehow convinced a small cult that he's a God type figure and, but then you bind him to an area like you were saying, so he can't go very far, and they have to keep bringing people to him. Uh, Ken Director said, what if you had a haystack that spawns scarecrows? Hmm. And that, there you go. that could be, that could definitely be fun. Down. Uh, yeah, like what's, what's causing it? Um, going to, like from Smallville, that there's the, in the first, the pilot episode, there's a thing where they create a scarecrow. So they take a person and put them out in the field as like a sacrifice. Now, the, the show is just for the night, but that could be a thing where, you know, villagers backwards thinking think they have to sacrifice someone. And then that's the spirit that gets reanimated 
uh, in the future, or it's just like a family member. Like, you killed my brother and make him Scarecrow, and I'm going to kill all you guys, but I'm going to dress up. So basically, we're making like a horror movie at this point. Yeah, dress so, up like the Scarecrow. <laughs> someone's dressed up, so it's just yeah. a person. So people are thinking it's a Scarecrow, but it's just a dude or a, or a dudette running around killing people like Friday the 13th uh, because someone died and they loved them. All right. I, I think like I think we've come up with some good ideas. So hopefully some anyone useful ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listening now or in the future, if anyone takes any of these ideas and uses them, please let us know. That would be amazing. Uh, and then we'll kind of move into the last section. This is our audience Q and A. Again, we've got quite a few people hanging out and interacting. I, I love that. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, so if you have any questions for the group and. They don't have to be RPG related, but they certainly can be, probably should be, but you know, I'm open to things. Uh, just let us know, ask some questions and we'll see what we can do. I know there's a little bit of delay. So while we're waiting for audience to catch up, I'll go back to Chris. Chris, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and then where they can get a hold of you, your projects that you're part of, all that kind of your social medias, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, mostly I do the Redemption podcast, which is a Star Wars actual play. Uh, easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's uh, Berlu underscore Chris. Somebody else already had Chris Berlew, which I do follow. I thought it was funny to follow myself. <laughs> my wife didn't find it as funny as I did, but uh, that's the easiest place to get a hold of me. All right. And Grant, what about you? Where people can uh, hang out with you on the internet if there's any projects you want to promote? Sure. If you want to hang out with me on the internet, the easiest way is probably Twitter. I'm at V underscore Foxblade or on the Discord. That's uh, uh, yeah, just various discords. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, I collect Discord rolls like they're Pokemon. So. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have them all. <laughs> uh, and I, I got no projects to plug or anything. So, all right, give it time. Well, That's right. Yeah. Uh, that just means you don't feed an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> or he's busy feeding another one. Uh, but yeah, one more, again, one last time out to the audience. If you have any questions for us, please throw them into chat. Uh, as for myself, my name is Michael. I host the RPG Academy. Pretty much everything I do can be found there. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter, again, at the RPG Academy. Uh, this show, Detention, is every other Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's basically the same format. Uh, usually I'm there. I have some uh, other faculty members that rotate in and out, and guests uh, guests like Grant will join us uh, on occasion. And then on the interceding Wednesdays, we have a 5e actual play stream that Tom runs, uh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh. And then... Starting at the end of January, I'm going to be doing a 13th Age stream called uh, Shadow Spawns 13th Age, which will be on the Tuesdays before Detention. So the same weeks of Detention on the Tuesday before the Detention, there will be uh, that stream. And then obviously we have the podcast. You know, there's literally like 700 episodes in our back catalog. If you like anything that we do and you're interested in hearing more, there's certainly uh, more content to go find. Uh, so CMC 2986 asked, what advice would you give to players who want to improve their role playing? Uh, and then while you're thinking on that, New York Tater just jumps in and says, no questions, but hopes everyone is safe. Absolutely. Same to you, sir. Uh, I hope things are going well. I know they're probably not right now or not as well as they could be for you, uh, but certainly hopefully they will be soon. All right. So, uh, Chris, I'll start with you. What advice would you give to, to a player who wants to get better at role playing? Uh, first, play more. Mm -hmm. experience will always be the best way of helping yourself. Uh, second thing, find a group that you really fit with and you feel comfortable with. That way you're not going out of your comfort zone and you're not asking other people to go out of their comfort zone. Uh, gaming can sometimes be very personal. 
if you get into a very deep story, you want to feel comfortable telling that story with your friends. Uh, and the other thing is just do some improv acting, do some of the little games we do. I know they're silly, but they actually do get your brain firing and they get you a little more energy. And the other thing is, is uh, when you're at the table, just pay attention to the other players. Know when it's your time to be in the moment, and when it's time to support their moment. Because when it's your turn, they'll support you and you can support them. I think that's a very underutilized skill. All right, Grant, what about you? Any thoughts on how to be a better player? Uh, listen more than you talk, probably. Um, that's just general good life advice, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh and just yeah try and 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 play more um jump in um when you feel like like chris said when it is your turn uh players will support you especially if you're at a good table um think about your character when you're not playing especially if you only have one or two characters um you know i think about my games when i'm in the shower when i'm walking around when I'm doing everything. Um, if you think about your character just a little bit, um, that probably will help you inhabit them come game time. Absolutely. I saw a funny tweet the other day where uh, it, the, the comment was, you mean players don't think about their char- player characters 24 hours a day? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, For me, I think the biggest advice I would give, which I think both of you touched on it, would be finding your place in the group Uh, because there's different things that might be like one night your better role playing might be taking a lead and being more active and more directive and talking more. And that same group, same character, the next session, your best role play may be to take a backseat and let someone else shine, whether it's because of the situation, either real or in the game, uh, you know, backstories coming into play, that kind of thing. So I think it comes, comes down to listening to what everyone else is doing and figure out your place. And for me, that's a, everyone take a drink. Session zero, when you're creating those characters together, I actually will take a drink since I have one, uh, is when you're creating your characters, kind of already figuring out what those roles are going to be like, okay, in this group, my character is going to be this type of, you know, character doesn't mean in certain sessions or in certain moments, I'm not going to break out of that, but it's just like kind of building an ensemble or like a, you know, for a band or for a movie or an improv team. If everyone knows where they're supposed to be, it's easier for the whole thing to work as an organic group. Uh, and then the other thing I would say for me personally, again, I pick one or two things and I lean hard into them. Yep. Uh, so like I, I played a Warforged that wanted to be a chef, but they couldn't eat. So they never knew what things tasted like. And I just leaned into that every moment I could. It was all about food, uh, you know, and I was trying to get other people to taste, taste things. And, you know, that can get tiresome, but it's a great place to start. So pick one or two things about your character that sets them apart or is interesting and then just lean into it as hard as you can. And then over time, if you keep playing the character, you can kind of pull it back and maybe spread out a little bit wider and add in a couple other things. Or you'll you'll have specific like in jokes with other characters or other NPCs that you can rely on. Uh, but don't be afraid to to go for the easy joke, because if you make me laugh, I'm having a good time. And that's what I'm here for. Right. Uh, I'll also throw in play other games. Don't play just one system because sometimes systems will streamline streamline you into playing one way. 
play different games, try different things that will help you learn how to be a better player because the mechanics will kind of force you to do different things. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me. And now I have a hard time locking into one system because I want to <laughs> try this. I want to go try that. Mm. You know, a good place to try a lot of games. Catacon. God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Daro2026 asked, uh, have there been any great moments in a game which was perfectly supported by a game mechanic? And alternatively, have you had a moment you wish was better supported by the mechanics? Uh, so Chris, I'll start with you on there again. Has there been a, a, any great moments you can think of with it, the, the role play, the story, the narrative, and the mechanics all blended together into a perfect, perfect singular moment? I, I think I had a little... I did a little one shot uh, when Star Wars and it was a Padawan and a Jedi. And the idea was it was different acts. And at the end, one of us was going to turn to the dark side and the way we played the mechanics out the final scene, both of us were right there on the edge of both being on the dark side. And we actually just let it play out with the dice rolls and the mechanics actually played that scene out perfect for us. And we both at the end of it were like, that was awesome we had a ton of fun with it i think that one really sticks out of my head because we were actually able to use the weird fantasy flight dice and rule system to make the story versus us just kind of fitting the mechanics into the story all right what about you grant i think i'm still searching for that perfect moment but uh i have a couple that uh stand out um one and i just recently used it um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Theros book. Well, I know you are because you did a review of it. I, I'm familiar um, with the book, the pages I read of it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they have, they added something to 5e called Mythic Encounters, mm-hmm. um, which basically when a monster, when a mythic monster drops to, usually it's a legendary monster, when it drops to zero hit points, it regains all of its hit points and then gets new abilities. Kind of resets. Yeah, it kind of resets. It's like a multi-phase boss battle in a video game. Nice. Yeah. 